Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. Welcome to another Tactical Tuesday, short form conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. Today, I am bringing you a preview, if you will, some snippets from the double header, the mega episode interview we did with the CEO of Saul, formerly Swinnerton, George Hirschman, one of the industry icons and uh, one of my heroes in the industry, a guy that has just done so much for the industry and is such a great leader. It was a fun interview, but it was a long interview and maybe you don't have time for that. So if you are in the category of anybody got time for that, I invite you to listen to this shorter version it's snippets, and I'm glad that you've decided to join us and level up your game. Remember, you can find resources and learn more about this guest and the longer form episode that you missed at mysuncast.com or right there inside of your podcast player, wherever you are. While you're on the website, if that's where you are, or on the podcast player, don't forget to subscribe because that's going to make sure that you don't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. I'm trying to keep you up to speed and leveled up in this industry. Get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. I want to explore a bit this idea around failure because failure and a fear of failure is something that prevents greatness for most people. It prevents them from succeeding in life, from taking on challenges, something that you as a leader no doubt confront every single day within the team. You mentioned your parents gave you a soft landing spot. Can you help me understand for you either psychologically or in, or in reality, kind of what does that mean for you? What did it mean for you in terms of your decided, your, your willingness to take risks? It allowed me to understand that it was okay to take business risks and to try things and know that at the end of the day, you're going to have the two people that know you the most and care about you the most support you in that endeavor, whether you succeeded in it or failed. I was always in the construction industry. I can't remember when I wasn't, when I was, you know, in, in 15 years old and building fences for neighbors and doing odd projects and trying things. And so I always felt it to be a very creative outlet for me. I also was grew up in a household where your grade in art was probably more important than your grade in math. We were painting in our, in our basement when we were young. And my, my mom was um, an accomplished artist and, a, and a, an amazing interior designer. And so she, she always supported our creative side. And that's ultimately what ended up, I think, for both my sister and I, who, um, again, she's a great graphic designer and has done amazing work over the years with very accomplished clients. And I always felt like, like the building was my creative outlet. And so I tried that for many, you know, so I, for a long time and I had, 
you know, and, and I had some, some success along the way and I had some failures along the way. I tried, I tried a, uh, residential commercial, a residential construction company early on that was successful for, for a time, but, but ultimately it was, um, the wrong fit and, and ultimately the business ended up failing and we ended up going in different directions. Uh, ultimately that, that put me into a position at Swinnerton, which was a very good fit for me, but I, for a long time, I felt like it was going to be a bit of a port in a storm, um, that I would tr- ultimately try another business again. I was lucky enough to find a, a path within Swinnerton that, that allowed me to continue to grow and a business and a team within a business. So it ultimately gave me that entrepreneurial spirit, but that kind of inherent belief that, that failure is okay. And that, you know, you need to use those to grow and learn from those experiences really helped me continue to, to grow Swinnerton Renewable Energy in, in the face of what was, you know, headwinds along the way, whether they, whether they be part of just growing a unique business inside of a very traditional business. Obviously, you can recognize that there's, there's headwinds that are caused internally and externally because of those things. And continuing to push through that noise because you recognize that, again, if you, if you fail and it doesn't work out, there'll be another path. And so that gives you some ability to be much more of a risk taker. You have built a tremendous team, a team that's stuck around. We're going to look at sort of two ends of this conversation at the same time, because I think it relates here. Your parents gave you this sense of confidence and certainty that even in the face of failure, there's success that seems to me like the goal orientation versus the growth orientation was more towards be creative and, and grow and the goals will align themselves. How as the CEO uh, and president of Swinish and Renewable and now CEO of Solve, how, how have you incorporated that into the culture of your company as it's, you know, it's a huge, how many employees do you have right now? We have just under a thousand full-time employees now. A thousand employees. So, you know, you can't possibly know every single person. You know, the whole, the very, the very nature of the way a tribe works is once it gets over 150 people, you kind of got to start breaking it down into silos so that it's more manageable. How have you thought about indoctrinating that culture with this idea that you can fail forward? Well, I think the, the good news is we have been able to build our organization with a very low turnover rate. And mm-hmm. so that, so our, the team that, that started with me 14 years ago. Uh, the vast majority of them are still here, and that's unique in uh, the solar industry. You've been in the solar industry long enough to know that, you know, the the vast majority of people have stayed in the industry, but have multiple business cards and have you know come and gone uh, with different companies. The Swinnerton team and now the Solve Energy team has remained consistent, and so they unfortunately have been been listening to my you know, my positive rants and, and just sheer belief that we can do anything for years. And sometimes I've beat it into them. And, but I've also recognized that I needed to fill my team with people with different viewpoints too, right? Because 
as risk adverse as some of my team are, they're a good counterbalance to me who, you know, if I loaded my car full of people that were like me, we'd drive the thing off the cliff. And so I need to make sure that I've got a team that has different viewpoints and we can respect that as well. And I can, I can continue to push them and maybe get them to places where they're a bit uncomfortable, but you know, there's a, a boundary there that we never cross and they can keep me a little bit in the rail as well. And so, so that's a good counterbalance to have that kind of team around you, because I think with any, any team, you don't want to get into groupthink, right? And I want to be part of this team. I'm, I'm happy to be, you know, to be, to represent it. I'm happy to be the face of it, but this is a team of people and we've built this together. And so we all have strengths that we bring to the table. And so I just get to voice mine a little bit more sometimes. And, uh, I tell them that, I tell them that even with my opinion, I have them outnumbered, right? <laughs> I have them all outnumbered. doesn't matter how many of them are, are, uh, are, are, you know, taking a, a less risky view at, uh, at our growth. Um, I tell them that, you know, I'll outnumber them still just by myself because, uh, because that's how, that's how positive I am about this industry and this organization. And so I always tell folks, you know, lead with yes. There's always an opportunity to figure out, you know, to get to know that you will go down the path and find out that, you know, maybe something is just absolutely not worth doing. But if you start at no, you can never get to yes. But if you start with yes and you understand what the objectives are, you understand what your customers' needs are, and I think that is one of the things that if I could leave anything to, to our folks or to the, the industry as a whole is recognize that your customers are your partners and that you're looking for ways to satisfy their needs, right? We're a service provider at the end of the day. We can, we can say we, we built great projects or we service, you know, our O&M group is, you know, has nine gigawatts or, you know, we'll talk again in you know, five years and we'll have hopefully 50 gigawatts of projects under management. But at the end of the day, we're just a service provider, right? We don't create a widget that, you know, that we have a patent on. We are a service provider. We take really good technology and we deploy it better than anybody else. And we build projects for owners and deliver jobs to communities. That's really fundamentally what we do. And so if we look at it as a service provider and recognize that we are entrusted to deliver somebody else's dream, then it makes the process much easier, right? I think we sometimes get wrapped around this, you know, we're a construction company and we're engineers and we do, we need to act a certain way. But at the end of the day, we're not, we're really just a service provider. And I just tell my folks all the time, just Remember customer service first. Remember that we want to be the place where people want to work with us. And that makes it really easy, right? Then you're not outselling because otherwise you commoditize the product, right? Construction gets commoditized quickly when people start to believe that all they're getting is a product at the end of the day and not a service. 
services are much harder to commoditize, right? When you go, you'll, you'll pay extra for good service. Not that I'm saying that we're going to drive costs up, but we don't have to be the low cost provider. In fact, I tell people we're not the low cost provider. That's not the market that or the business that we've built. We're going to provide you the best service at the right price. And if you can build your business around that, you're going to be hugely successful. Completely agree. You said when you got to Swinnerton that you thought it was a port in the storm, right? Uh, And so I wanted to come back to your comment and also be able to tie it back in to this, the idea that there's, there's a lot, there is a lot of similarity, especially for folks who uh, have been in multiple companies of, of entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs, entrepreneurs being those who stand up businesses inside of existing companies. It wasn't day one that you were asked to begin a renewable energy business at this large contractor. So can you paint the picture for what Swinnerton looked like when you joined in 19, what was it, 95, 97? Uh, yeah, 97. So I started with the construction management group, which was a, at the time, a very a smaller portion of our, of our business, uh, was a fairly small group at the time. There was about 30 of us uh, within side of Swinnerton that had a construction management business. So uh, just for those unfamiliar, Swinnerton has a general construction, traditional building business and had a, has a construction management division um, that was really starting up at the time. And so I joined as part of that group. So mm-hmm. it was the kind of the first, you know, startup within side of Swinnerton that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. And we saw that, you know, I saw that group grow um, as one of the early employees. In fact, uh, the the individual that hired me there, Don Davis, is probably still one of my my greatest mentors, somebody that mm-hmm. believed in me early on, saw my ability to you know manage projects and manage customers and and really interface on on what was a business that was intended to be um, the owner's representative, right? So I always told people, as I started to move in that business and and ultimately became a division manager down in San Diego of that division, I always told our folks that were brought on that we are the voice of the project, right? That's what this business is, is that as a construction manager, the there's there's always three parties in a project, right? There's an owner, there's the contractor or the builder, and then there's the project as a separate entity. And as a construction manager, you don't work for the owner, you work for the project. You need to be the voice of the project. And that ultimately is going to deliver the best project, right? Because that means that sometimes it puts you sometimes at odds with the contractor, but also sometimes puts you at odds with the owner, right? And you have to realize that what is in the best interest of that project is what your job is. And so I think that was a belief that I always had was that it's it's about the service. It's about the project that you're trying to deliver. I used to, we did a lot of that business managed for school districts and municipalities and, and other public agencies. And I also used to tell people, we don't build schools, we open schools, right? Building a school is not, doesn't mean anything. Opening a school means everything, right? The door, you know, the lights come on, the kids come to school, the teachers are there. 
It's about the facility building it for the service that it needs to provide. I love the visualization and the reframing. And I have to imagine your employees who are listening to this, your team members are thinking, oh, I've heard him say this kind of anecdote uh, hundreds of times. It, it for me is emblematic of the kind of leader that you are or perhaps you've become. And it's a mindset shift. It's thinking about the purpose of the work, not the goal of completing the work, right? Finishing a building is a goal to complete the building, but opening schools, that's a mission, right? And our entire industry is built not around deploying solar panels or steel. It is built around the mission of transitioning to a cleaner form of electricity. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast. And you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexsolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major U.S. developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. I feel like there's probably a lot of still questions around how you made key decisions so in 2008, you kind of got this thing going, saw traction. You at some point had to make a case internally for standing up a renewables division. And you mentioned that you transitioned from commercial to utility scale. How did that decision come about? Can you talk about the process of really figuring out where you were going to play in the, in the, in the industry? Because they're definitely, at the same time, you've got a lot of companies expanding and most people won't recognize this, that from 2009 to 2012, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that the CNI market was super hard and it just wasn't going to scale like Resi and utility. There were a ton of companies like being acquired by Morgan Stanley, being acquired by SoCal Edison that were making a big dent in the CNI space too, right? We're talking many multi-gigawatt portfolios of projects. Um, not, not the story we hear so much today, despite the fact that there are companies like that. But how did you come to that decision. We're going to go all in on like what we're really good at is we're going to build the best. And I would say this is arguably true. The best and most established brand high value service to build and deploy gigawatts of utility scale solar. So I think part of it, and I wish, uh, I wish I could just say it was, you know, we had an epiphany one day and we, mm. we, uh, we woke up and said, you know what, we're going to be better in utility scale market. Let's go for it. Right. Like you said, there you know, in those early days, there was no real utility scale market. And so, you know, a lot of it just came through kind of the organic growth that happens with customer relationships. Yeah, We started, uh, we did some 
you know, commercial generation projects, we started building a, a, you know, reasonable portfolio of commercial projects. And then there was a significant commercial project in California that was a a program put together by Recurrent Energy at Mm -hmm. the time. And that's where I first met Arno and Sheldon. And it was for um, Kaiser Hospitals. And it was a program that they had set up with to deploy, I think there was about 15 different Kaiser Hospital facilities where they were going to put solar through a PPA program. And we had the ability to, because of our relationship as a commercial builder with with Kaiser, we had built hospitals, Mm -hmm. you know, Swinerton had built hospitals and had a, a, you know, medical group that was really successfully working with Kaiser. And so we leveraged that relationship with Kaiser to, you know, to go in and work with Recurrent and say, look, because we know your host customer, we know how to work at your host customer's environment. We're the best, you know, we're, we're kind of the, the best of both worlds. We're a commercial construction company that yeah. understands your, your host and we build solar as well. So we ultimately built that program out and built a relationship with Recurrent. And then as Recurrent transitioned into one of was really the earliest utility scale developers in California mm-hmm. and successfully developed a number of projects, we, we became a partner with them on a number of projects. So I think, you know, that again, kind of goes back to this, this service relationship is that we saw what our customers' um, businesses were changing, and we saw that we could change and support them as well. And it happened to work out that, you know, the utilities sector was better for us, right? We had the size and scale. We had people that understood how to build projects at those type of scale. And, you know, we understood the kind of logistics aspect of the business. And, and ultimately we just continue to focus on that. And, and then, you know, there's just a lot of spinoff in this industry, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where somebody goes somewhere else and that, you know, so the relationship continues to, to web out. I mean, I think that as we looked at our customer base just a a year ago, as we went through this transition, you could almost connect the dots Mm -hmm. between projects and customers. Almost every single job has some sort of related aspect to it. And that's the unique part of it is that, you know, you, you build relationships in this business and that turns into new job opportunities. How does being engaged in both the upfront construction planning process, as well as the uh, after construction asset management process, look differently to an owner through the lens of someone like Solve versus the model that we've kind of grown up with, which is someone builds it, someone else takes care of it. I think that it really gives us a unique perspective and probably is the reason why we focused most of our relationships and most of our build experience around long-term asset owners. So developers that are going to own the assets because we really sit on the same side of the table with that type of partner relationship. It gives us the ability to understand 
you know, we're not only trying to target the lowest build cost, right? It's not just about CapEx, it's about OpEx as well. And how do we build a plant that has the lowest overall cost of ownership, which ultimately, you know, creates the lowest cost of energy. And because we have such a robust O&M group and there is a information loop that happens between our O&M teams and our engineering teams, and we really understand what the overall cost of ownership is. And at the end of the day, that is the deliverable, right? It's not, it's not a lowest cost of to build it and then with a high cost of, of operating it, right? You have to really balance those two. And so I think it allows us to have discussions with our customer partners to say, here is a trade-off between a really low CapEx cost, which could translate into either a higher OpEx cost or lower energy output, right? We could really have those discussions. And, you know, there's nobody as uniquely capable of having those discussions as Solve Energy is because nobody has the type of, you know, robust build platform associated to a robust O&M platform. George, on the topic of workforce and talent development, it's not lost on me that you build a culture of excellence. And over the course of time, those excellent people are offered opportunities outside of your organization. Could you talk a bit about the culture of a company where you naturally are training individuals who, for reasons outside of your control, can decide to take those skills elsewhere? And how you as a leader think about that, both holding on to those employees and I'll say letting them go and being a, being a, a, what I would say is an incubator for excellent talent that populates through the industry, as we know, as happened with your current and former employees, as well as many other organizations in the industry. What would you say to other CEOs who are thinking about their culture and what it means to watch these folks grow into leaders? Well, I think um, there's a couple of different questions in there. I think let's address the first one. It is not my intention or ever my job to be an incubator and watch talent move out the door. One of the things I'm most proud of at Solve Energy and, and formerly the Swinerton days is that we retain talent. We have probably a much different track record than a lot of companies within the renewable space where they're, you know, people have worked at many, many different companies. And we have been able to retain our talent. That is a hard thing to do in an industry that's growing as rapidly as, as we are. And, and our folks have a, you know, have a pedigree coming out of this group. But that means you have to make it very appealing for people to stay here. And you have to give opportunity here. And that's one of the reasons why, one of the things that, that we talk a lot about is growth. And there's a lot of different reasons why companies grow and need to grow. And first and foremost, I see growth as opportunity. I'm going to be at this at the helm of this industry or this company for a long time. I, I don't have anywhere else I I want to be than to to being part of this organization. And that means for a number of our leadership team we have to 
recognize that we have to grow the group wider because it's not it's not going to give opportunity unless we have more we, we're doing more business or more lines of business we're offering new services where people can step up and be leaders within our organization because if we can't give them that they will go be leaders in somebody else's organization so growth to me is about giving opportunity and retaining talent because you know at some point everybody wants to be a leader of something and so they're going to go be a leader and i that means i've just trained what could be my competition and so i would much rather look you know spread the organization wide and have more of a footprint and do more services and let people become business leaders within this same organization and that is that is first and foremost and i i will tell you that i'm proud of our track record i'm proud of the numbers we haven't we haven't retained everybody but the vast majority of people are here and are here and see this as the place to really grow in the industry because we will we will absolutely give new opportunity to people. I love when a team member comes in and says, George, I have this great idea for a service or an offering or something we can try. And I'd like to take the lead. It's a, I want, I want entrepreneurship to be infectious in this company and I want to support it. And you know what? I'm also not afraid to fail, right? In certain areas, we have not been successful in everything that we've tried. But you got to fail along the way and figure out what is going to be successful for us. And so that's an important part of retention. And if you're, if you're not doing that in your company, in this industry, you will lose people because you can't fight. If it's, a, if it's just a arms race around dollars, you know, ultimately, you're going to lose that battle, right? There's too much money that comes into this industry there's too much investment there's too many companies that want to want to buy resumes you know and build their way into this this industry by not through building projects but by just capturing people and so you have to be prepared to offer more than just that and you've got to build leaders internally and so we invest a lot in in our talent development group and making sure that we're providing people the technical skills to do their job, but also the leadership skills to do their job of the future. All right. Well, that is a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But the fun doesn't stop here. No, never. Right there in your podcast player. And we have nearly 500 episodes for you to peruse and enjoy. But we've also got an amazing episode coming on this Thursday with Keith Merritt, the president of clean energy services at Generac. And that is a really, really interesting dive into career progression, entrepreneurship strategy. I know that you are going to love it. If you are enjoying and would love to get more content like this, well, you can find resources, highlights, and social media links, and many other ways to connect with our guests and with yours truly over at mysuncast.com. Special thank you, to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible and free for you. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash 
sponsor. You can follow the links there for any of the offers, demos, and cool benefits they offer. That's also how you could find out how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions just like yourself twice a week. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.